Hey guys, welcome to Contest Prep University. I'm Joe Klimzeski with Adam Atkinson. We're going to do another episode in our Coaching Behind the Scene series. We're taking a little bit more time at the end of the year to dive into some of the topics we've covered in our hundreds and hundreds at this point of, of five to seven minute podcasts. But I want to, Adam, take a turn toward uh, a question I'm getting more and more. It, it's kind of weird to me. Uh, I've never in 25, 30 years of my career had so many people ask me just point blank, what show do you want me to do? And my initial reaction is still to this day, I don't care. It's, it's your career. It's, it's your season. Like You're hiring me to coach you through this. Why would I care what show you do? But I, I understand the, the impetus behind that question, which is they, they look to us as coaches as somebody to say, okay, here's my goal. I want to become an IFBB pro or WNBF pro, or I want to follow this trajectory. How do I get there? And, and so many people are hiring coaches earlier in their careers. It's, it's not like a lot of people have been competing for 10 or 20 years and they're finally trying to get over the hump. They're jumping into the sport and they're like, okay, I want to win and I want to win big. Let's go. So I thought, you know, out of, out of all the things that I know we'll probably talk about, the first thing that comes to my mind is that overall trajectory. You know, what show you want to do has to be the best next step in your career. Doesn't mean you're going to automatically go for the biggest rung on the ladder, but what is the next logical step? And I just love to hear your perspective when you get that question, how you think through this process and articulate it to your clients. Yeah, first, I, I just kind of like to know what is their end goal. Um, so then you're not having them do a bunch of shows that maybe aren't worthwhile for them. Um, the other thing I look for is finances. It can be really expensive to do these. So is travel an option? Is uh, maybe minimal travel an option? Uh, you know, I know with uh, my girls that are going for pro cards, you know, we hope that they get their pro card, their first national show, but Oftentimes we have to plan to do multiple national shows and uh, they add up. They're about $350 a pop and that's not including hair and makeup and uh, everything else involved. So, you know, it's, um, you know, finances really dictate this question quite a bit. Um, and then I would just say experience. Are they ready for that national level? Or sometimes you do need to put a client in there to say, I want you to take a two year off season, but before we do that, I want you in real time either to go see nationals or go compete as a participant just to see what you're up against. And I've done that with a few of my clients. It really helps keep them fired up in the off season. Yeah, and I've, I do the same thing too. We, we've talked about this in the past on different, different series, but I like my clients to learn how to win. And even if you have qualified for a national show, you know, are you truly ready? If you've been competing for, you know, years and years, then absolutely you're, you're ready. But a lot of people, as I said, are jumping in, they're just getting their feet wet and they, they have their sights set on, on those ultimate wins. And some of them are, I don't, I don't want to say they're okay with it, but what ends up happening is they go to these national shows and they get, 10th place or 20th place, or, you know, they're not even in the, in the first four or five call outs and they just keep going back and they keep going back and they are just ramming their head into a brick wall. 
and and I say let's let's pull back you know maybe go to a, a state level show a regional show let's go to a place where you're you know you're going to be super competitive you're you're in the hunt and let's see what it's like to gain that experience and win before you come back to this level and you know I, I know I know what your client load is like so how is that kind of advice usually taken by your clients yeah you know oftentimes I do find I'm pulling clients out of competing as often to help them get better um, I find a lot of coaches are just letting their athletes compete too much and then they're getting further and further behind in the pack uh, you know the benefit of an off season is to grow is to um, you know, improve. And this is why we call it bodybuilding is we want to build the body. There's always going to be some sort of weakness that we need to conquer. So I have found the, a lot of the um, conversations I'm having with higher level athletes is telling them to do the one thing that they don't want to do. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a new coach like me to you know, just say, hey, we need to put the brakes on competing for a while, at least a year, maybe two years, and then let's go in and get that pro card and be completely undeniable. Right. And let's, before we move on, I want to stay on the topic of these different organizations. And this is where I think you have a, a ton of experience and skill. How would you rate, since, since so many of your competitors want that IFBB card, when you're looking at junior nationals, North Americans, nationals, what, what is your mindset of a particular show? Like, why would you tell one competitor, hey, this is the show for you, and then you would tell another competitor, you know, to, to do a, a different one? Yeah, so there are trends that we notice as coaches. Um, and the funny thing about this is that it's hard to explain. There could only be four or five judges that change on panel, but that can make a very big difference. Um, a great example, I had a girl who was one point from her pro card at Universe Championships. Um, she actually competed the very next weekend at another national show, um, NPC Nationals. So the girl that she beat to get third place, which was one place from her pro card, also had competed. So the fourth place person well, the fourth place person actually beat my client for the pro card there. And um, all it took, and when I looked down, I just kind of knew by seeing who was judging that they were going to favor this other girl's physique over my clients. And, um, you know, sometimes you know these things just by previous shows, uh, but it really does come down to getting to know the judges, getting to know what they like. Um, but then it's hard to say, like, because then strategically you have seven people's opinions you're trying to dissect down there. But, you know, you can pick trends. You can try to best pick um, certain shows for clients. But I've also had clients who I didn't think would do well at a certain national show based on trends, and they actually won their pro card. So um, I've been proven wrong, too. <laughs> Mm. Which, uh, if you could stair step uh, those particular national level shows into the IFBB, what, what what would you say is the highest level, most competitive, uh, you know, most attendance, and and on down? If if there's a place that you think, well, hey, you know, we can kind of sneak you in here, and this is where you may have the greatest chance, or like if you really want that that 
prestige, you know, go win this show. We want everybody to know that you, that you're unbeatable. Yeah. I tell you what, I think, um, just getting a pro card is something so many people have sought after. I don't know if I could rank one higher than another. I will say statistically though, it does seem like people that win USA championships end up being very, very good pros in the long run. There's, um, you know, so many Olympians who have won that show. Um, and that just might be the odds that some really good people happen to strike right about then. But you do see a lot of Olympians, a lot of champions come from the USA championship. So um, just because of that, I might have a little more prestige there. Also, as a coach, that was the one show that probably took me the longest to get somebody a pro card at that particular show. Um, so I might just, due to my own experiences, think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And a, a quick shout out to the organization I competed with and promoted with for so long, the INBF and WNBF. But I know as a drug-free, in the largest, most reputable drug-free organization in the world with, gosh, I mean, just, just dozens and dozens and dozens of affiliate countries now, um, their, their protocol is you, you win a pro qualifier, obviously, then you have to compete in a pro show, then you can compete at their, their highest level, you know, world championships. It, in, in the NPC path toward the IFBB, go through the process, what, how, what levels do you have to win at to qualify for a national show to then get your IFBB pro card? Yeah, so right now, um, top two in a regional national, con national um, qualification contests, which almost all of them are national qualifiers anymore. So top two in your class will get you to nationals. And most national contests are top two in every class. But there are a few shows like North Americans where only class winners get their pro card. So you really have to look at the rules and per division, how they're dividing that up. But a lot of shows you can get a top two in every class do you get pro cards? Mm -hmm. And this is a little bit of an aside, but this is a question I get a lot as well. Uh, let's say I have a competitor uh, and, and with my longevity in the career as a competitor and a coach, I, I have a lot of clients who have kind of grown with me through the years. So uh, I, I have many, many clients who are in their 40s, 50s, and even above 60 hitting some of these masters national type shows. And they'll ask me, you know, I'm gonna do the over 60, should I also do the 55, the 50, the 45? Like how low can you go? And, and, and I believe the, the typical um, entry fee for each division is a couple hundred bucks, right? Yeah. Um, and so of course it's however much money you wanna spend, but realistically, you know, if you're in an age category at 55 or 60 or 50 and you're dropping down to those 45s and 40s, First of all, you probably have some really good competition in your division doing the same thing. So it's not like you're going to sneak in and somebody else is there. And you have these younger competitors who are also going to be there and, and they have that potential advantage. So uh, well, how do you approach that with your clients when they say, hey, I want to I want to give myself the greatest chance. How many of these divisions can I cross over into? Yeah, I usually let them cross over one age class down. That seems to be the most beneficial you could, and I've had this happen, actually, uh, I believe Jennifer Mims missed her pro card in 45 enough, but then she won her class in 40 enough. 
And uh, that was because the girl who had beat her in 45 and up did not cross over down the class. It was basically the same people. And uh, that definitely happens. And uh, it, it's always a blessing when you do have someone cross over down and uh, win their pro card. Um, I actually had Michelle Keaton. She won her 35 and up and she won her open uh, pro card, which you only get one, but she was good enough to win 35 and up and open. Mm, nice, nice. Now you already addressed the expense of competing. And when you said, you know, the average entry fee plus whatever testing and, you know, the card and, and affiliation fee you need, you know, you, you could be up into the three, $400 range before hair and makeup, before suit, before travel, before hotel. So that, that's a huge factor. And I look at geography as part of that equation. Are, you know, are there shows around you you can hit first? Like what's, what is that main goal? And then let's talk about that one kind of ultimate show that you, that you may have to travel for. Um, how, how do you play in other, I would call them tangibles, they're not intangibles, but, but things like uh, timing. You know, I, I have a particular client who did extremely well this fall. And, and he's so gung-ho, he wants to, you know, he's a pro and he wants to go big next fall, but he also wants to compete in April, just got done competing last week, wants to do April, then summer, then fall. And I said, you know, t time out, dude, you're, you're just, you, you can't keep dieting for a two-year run and improve. You're looking forward to this improvement phase I said, we have to at least delay until summer or late summer if you want to do this fall show. So at least have some kind of off season. How, how long do you like to see your seasons go for your competitors when you're stringing together the, the, all the national qualifiers that start in the summer and go into the fall? Yeah, that it, it is per person. Um, I have a few girls who just will not cover recover fast enough from uh, you know, basically hating all the national shows this year, especially with them being so delayed into the end of the season. So um, you have to think because of COVID, some of my girls have dieted close to a full year. So most of them are going to need at least a year, year and a half off after that. And uh, that's always a hard conversation to have. Uh, so it is person dependent. I would say that I like to at least see a year of full training and uh, full growing, and then maybe another six months to contest diet after that. That always seems to be the way I can really make a champion. And I, I think you would agree with that. If someone gives us a full year in the off season, that's one of the best gifts a competitor can give you. And of course it's their choice. Um, you know, I'm not going to force someone to diet if they don't want to, but I'm also not going to force them to grow if they don't want to either. But sometimes those lessons are learned the hard way and you have to really preach to them that, uh, you know, in my experience, here's what has worked best. For sure. And uh, when I was an amateur, there were some streaks where I would compete every year. And so you kind of, you know, you go through your contest season, then you may have a short five, six month off season, you're competing again. And it was always for that goal. It's always for that ultimate win. You're trying to move up one level at a time. But once I became a pro, I was an every two year kind of guy. Uh, so I had that full, you know, 12 month off season minimum. And that's where you make your best improvements. 
Uh, but, but it is person to person, as you said, everybody has their favorite aspects of physique sport. Mine was always the training and the growth and the progress. A lot of competitors, it's, they really do enjoy the stage time. Uh, they enjoy the glam. They enjoy just being in that level of condition as often as they can be and often to their detriment, which is where a good coach has to step in and say, you know, look, this is, this is not going to help. And, and I love that you said that you have to learn the hard way sometimes. Um, but it is an important lesson. Anybody, you know, listening to this, you you could definitely have your, your runs where you compete for a couple years in a row and multiple shows, but you will find how much value there is in that rest and recovery and that growth. If you take a prolonged off season, even if it's just 12 months of not dieting. So I think that's a really important point, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the biggest thing too to mention with uh, talking about long seasons, uh, you know, there's no damage with doing, you know, multiple seasons, but you will find that it is very suppressive and uh, each prep just gets a little bit harder if you don't give yourself that full recovery. And then you just kind of end up in a metabolic standoff where you just, you just can't get back to the same condition or better. And then, uh, you know, then you really have a tough decision to make at that point. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to leave anybody out on purpose, but uh, let's, let's go through some of these other organizations. Uh, of course, the NPC and IPB is on the top of the mountain in terms of what everybody conceives of as, as the best kind of recognition and um, obviously no restrictions in terms of PEDs. Uh, I believe very strongly, uh, it, just just numerically and through through data, that the WNBF is is the biggest, best uh, drug free organization. But in that realm, just underneath those two giants, what what are some other ones that you really enjoy seeing clients compete in and, and you support and you think they do a good job? Yeah, honestly, so you you nailed my other favorite, which would be the WNBF. I've always been uh, very partial to them. Um, I think they're fair. And I think that they, uh, they're probably one of the longest standing natural federations. And uh, I think that they've just had the time to advance and improve over the years. Um, so it would be the, let's see, it would be the OCB would probably be my next one. Um, other than that, I don't venture out too, too much. Uh, the NGA is still around to some degree, but um, those, and it's probably just because I'm most familiar with them. I would say the OCB and the WNBF are um, probably my other two favorites. Mm -hmm. So uh, what about, and those are exactly in order, the ones that I would have kind of dropped, you know, down through. Um, the, the natural Olympia that's in Vegas every year, is that the INPB or something like that? What is that one? Yeah, actually, I think it's INBA. INBA. And I, I did just have a female compete out there. Um, they make a big production out of it. Um, I I don't know if I like the judging, to be quite honest. It just seemed uh, very different from the other federation. But again, I'll, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. It's just a lack of being familiar with them. S same here. And uh, I also had a couple competitors out there, and the judging did seem a little, little off. But uh almost kind of old schoolish in terms of rewarding, you know, very big people who are softer and, uh, uh, but neither here nor there in any other organizations. What, what about overseas? The, uh, 
the, the IFBB European uh, organizations and any, anybody else that you, you often are putting clients into their shows? So I haven't put anyone in there just because of the big divide with the IFBB and the IFBB, which is kind of a really confusing topic. Um, so I, I am trying to uh, more so push my people into the, you know, official IFBB Pro League and the mm-hmm. real NPC. You know, this is an interesting thing, just, just in terms of business. Um, I don't know how many people who are promoters or, or uh principles inside of these organizations would be listening to us, but just having that path toward an ultimate goal of pro status somewhere like the IFBB pro league, uh, you know, that matters to people. And so if you're somebody who is an affiliate, a promoter for a really small organization and they have small regional shows and so forth, uh, again, I think those are great as options for people to go get some experience. And, And if they're very close to somebody where there's, there's not, a lot of travel expense, or uh, it just happens to be the right timing for their contest season. But this this gets into the whole thing of, you know, why not consolidate? Why not bring those resources and those promoters and that experience into other organizations that just have bigger feeder networks and better structure and, and higher cohesion with standards of practice? And so, all of the people that we're not mentioning that may be great promoters and have some good organizations. Um, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm sure you're going to continue to get a lot of competitors, but it really, for the long-term benefit of the, the competitors around you and the sport as a whole, it, it would be interesting if there was just a, a few more people who would make alliances and, and look at mergers. Absolutely. They could turn a couple 5Ks into Boston Marathon is what I've always said. Yeah. It, and there's always... It, I've heard this controversy and this discussion for decades and everybody kind of whines about it, that there's so much bifurcation and infighting among these organizations. And I, and I get it. That's where free enterprise does make for better competition and the best survive. But at the same time, after a while, when you see, okay, this is, this is the history and the, and the prediction for the future of the organization, it would, I think, benefit those promoters and competitors and organizations. Yeah. To, to really look at, you know, who's doing the best job and let's throw all of our weight behind those organizations. Yeah. I think that would be a win-win for really everybody to be honest. Um, recently, I'm sure you've seen this too, maybe not so much with COVID, but you know, in 2019, I saw, you know, four shows happen within like, I want to say 120 mile radius of each other, which makes no sense. So what ended up happening, there were, you know, four people, four shows dividing the whole population of a very small sport to begin with. So everyone had a super low attendance because of that. Yeah. And let's talk finally one last piece about just the promoter in the contest experience that can be different. So when you're looking at the USA's, the universe, North Americans, et cetera, uh, how many different people are involved and how different are these shows? How different is the experience because of the actual promoter, what they put into it, maybe the, the city and the venue? What, what, what contest do you really love to see and, and which ones do your competitors really enjoy the most? Yeah, I, I would say uh, the crowd favorite seems to be North Americans for a lot of my clients. Um, the A team 
is uh, what they call the crew that runs the backstage. They actually run the Olympia, so it's a really good experience, really good expediters. And uh, they, they let coaches have backstage passes there, which not all the national contests do. And, uh, you know, I just find that that makes my clients' whole experience so much better if I can be back there with them. Uh, you know, they feel more confident, they feel supported better. And, uh, you know, I can be back there to visualize the timing of their peak and um, when they might get on stage. So um, I think having those options makes it really feel like home to the clients. I think also, um, obviously, uh, New Jersey um, for a T-neck uh, universe championships is a favorite just because it's so close to New York. I think a lot of people, if you haven't been to New York City, you have to go. But, um, you know, the, the shows are very well organized and that makes it enjoyable for the clients if they're not worried about missing their class constantly. Yeah, and that's what, that's what I've seen in the, the natural organizations as well. There, there are always promoters that have that spirit of just knowing because they've been competitors themselves you know, what, what a competitor wants and, and what makes it an enjoyable process. And I've seen a lot of evolution in that. Uh, I, I think as when I was a promoter, I was one of the first people to do live judging. And I thought, you know, my gosh, I hope this catches on because it's so much better for the, the competitors. It's so much better for the audience. And uh, I was a little bit afraid that, that some promoters may think there's a hit to the gate and, and it's not as profitable but I've seen some big name organizations do that. Um, and, and it's, I've just enjoyed seeing the promoters improve the game, so to speak. Yeah. North Americans, they did that this year. They did a live judging and, uh, you know, it was nice when you had people who were close to getting pro cards, you don't have to wait until night or, you know, the next day even to find out if they went pro or not. So that's a uh, super helpful. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. And I would just say as a final point of contention in terms of how you can choose the best contest, don't just look at this particular season, but look at the entire trajectory of your career and, and maybe block it out in terms of years or a couple of year processes. And, you know, maybe I want to win this one first or see how I do here first, and then I'll try that one. And don't try and cram in all of these shows at once thinking that that's just the path forward. Because if you become a pro, you want to make sure you're a good pro. One of the things I've seen other promoters discuss a lot is somebody who wins a pro card too early often then goes into the pro ranks, gets just annihilated, and it kind of it ruins their career a lot of times. They, they go away thinking, okay, I, I couldn't do this. Whereas with some more time and more maturity and more experience it, it through the entire level, the tiered system uh, would have been much more advantageous. So uh, what do you think is a final thought there, Adam? Yeah, I would say strategically swing the hammer. Don't just, you know, swing for no reason. And uh, I think I see a lot of people doing that where they're not really strategically thinking about what's best for them. Um, they just kind of think the more chances or the more times I go, the more chances I have to go pro. But you really have to look and be the part. And uh, that's where it's important to get feedback from the judges and your coach and uh, really decide what's best. Perfect. Well said. And with that, we will see you guys next time in Contest Prep University.